Merry Christmas. I can say that yet until tomorrow, technically. Uh, in Rome, though, today they gather and they celebrate the feast of the baptism of the Lord. In the United States and some other provinces uh, or, or uh, groups of bishops have moved Epiphany from the 6th to the Sunday so that uh, more people can celebrate with a, without another day of obligation in here. So, uh, personally, I, I think the 6th is fine. So I had Mass with the sisters yesterday, so this is Epiphany 2, and I tease them. I feel kind of like a hobbit, those that are familiar with uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, writings. Hobbits have a second breakfast, first breakfast and second breakfast. I have a second Epiphany. So it's a wonderful thing. But with Epiphany, what we celebrate is really three manifestations, which is what Epiphany means, three revelations. Uh, we have, of course, the, what we uh, typically focus on on Epiphany with the coming of the wise men as Christ is revealed to the nations, the wise men symbolizing those nations. The baptism of the Lord as he is uh, revealed as the one who is coming and revealed to at least John the Baptist and those who are willing as God's anointed son, his, the promised one, and as well as the wedding at Cana. The wedding at Cana where uh, they ran out of wine and Mary comes and she says, uh, they were out of wine and what, what has this to do with me? Is My time has not yet come and she begs him and he turns some uh, huge amount, 150 gallons of water into the best of wine. And he's, it's his first miracle, this manifestation of him as a miracle worker as well. We've separated those last two out and, and focused only on the coming of the wise men uh, in our uh, technical celebration. But even tonight in the Liturgy of the Hours, we'll have those other things mentioned. Of the, the, and uh, one of the things, the, this day has so many different rites and rituals attached to it. Uh, there's a blessing of epiphany water, which I, I made that available, and that's in, actually in the font in the back here at St. Ed's. Uh, or the blessing of uh, chalk for the blessing of doors at, in your homes. So we have chalk available, or the uh, proclamation of the movable feasts, but we have the calendars available uh, for that uh, and all of these things uh, that, that occur on this day because this is the last major feast before Lent begins usually, which is why the movable feasts, and this connection of blessing and God's presence. But it is the coming of the wise men we focus on today. And I will go to my grave defending the thesis, and you've heard me say this before, that I believe that the wise men were truly wise in bringing the gifts that they did. Every year I am dismayed to hear you know, people saying, well, if they were, if they were really wise, why did they bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh? I mean, after all, those are useless gifts. No, 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 not at all. In fact, we'll just briefly... Gold, of course, we know what gold is, but gold at the time, we don't use gold too much, but gold is money. How many of you have ever given a gift card to somebody? It's a practical gift. It's useful. Frankincense, yes, we don't use it all that often, but we do use incense in church, and, and uh, uh, we don't use incense, tech, frankincense technically here. Uh, frankincense is from a particular tree or whatever, but it can be. But... It was sometimes used in homes to remove odors. Well, with a baby and 
Certainly, I imagine, as they were in that uh, manger a little longer than maybe they expected, maybe they had a few odors that they needed to take care of. Frankincense would have been very good at that. And unfortunately, I think myrrh gets the worst rap, but it is the most practical of all the gifts, I am convinced. That myrrh is used for a number of things, anointing for uh, a deceased body and all those things, but myrrh has an antiseptic quality and it could be used as diaper rash ointment. If that's not a practical and wise gift, I don't know what is. And of course, my contention is that they were truly wise, and I know this in one way. They stopped and asked for directions. They knew what they didn't know. And that is the point that I think we need to focus on this day, that what was it about uh, what was happening that caused them to even leave? After all, St. Matthew uses the word magi. We only have that used here and in our Acts of the Apostles. There's, there's a man who's described as a magi, and he's a magi in kind of what our modern sense of magi is. He studies all, all these esoteric texts, and he's kind of a magician that likes kind of pulling a fast one, perhaps. But these magi are more learned men. They must have been some men of leisure and some men of means, after all, to study and, and these esoteric texts that they must have took money to find the text, first of all, and took money to be able to study them so that you did not have to worry about what are you to eat or drink or, or wear. You had the money, the wealth, to be able to study. And they studied them. And there are some, some texts, not only from, from Israel, but throughout the world, that they must have studied, that all these things started to come into play. And they saw these things starting to pan out, that everything was starting to, to align into one reality. There is a prophecy, and I forget which country it was at, at the time, but it said something important will happen in the, what we know the land of Israel. Something important will, will happen that a God will be born there who will rule the nations. And so with that and with the, all this, whatever it was, whatever sign it was, the star was, they set out from their places of comfort across some dry, hot, barren land to go to greet that newborn king of the Jews. But the star disappears from their sight. Now, St. Matthew gives us enough details, and, and I, I have to admit, I, I love seeing every theologian and philosopher and, and astronomer and astrologer and everyone try to describe what, what this was. And we, you know, we come down to the fact we simply don't know. What was that star? What was it all about? What did it look like? All these things. But I have to admit my favorite explanation because it matches some of St. Matthew's description because the star seems to disappear and then come back again. It seems to move from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. It seems to guide them. Some have suggested that it was the planet's Jupiter, which is named after, of course, the god, the king god of the, of the Romans, and Venus, the goddess of love, that they would come together and have a child, but it would appear in the constellation Leo, which has a connection to Judah. Leo the lion, the lion of Judah. Now, if that's true, that seems to match. We don't know. 
But the other reason I like that is because it would have been subtle. It would have been so easy for most people to overlook. Why was it that only the Magi recognized that this had happened? Why was it only the Magi who saw this sign, saw this wonder, left their palaces, left their places of comfort, and traveled? Well, it might have been something big. You know, and when, when life is busy, you know how much I love that word. Busy is a four-letter word, but when life is busy, we might say, oh, look at that star. Hmm, okay, what do I have to do next? And we immediately forget about it. These wise men decided, we need to investigate. We need to go and see. And so when they lose the star, they go to the most obvious place. They're going to go to the palace. And what do they find in the palace? Not a true king of the Jews, but a puppet king, somebody who was appointed by Rome, somebody who had no right to rule. He wasn't even Jewish, at least fully Jewish. He was an Abbotean. If those that are familiar with the city of Petra, the, the remains of the city of Petra, that was where Herod's family was from. Petra was built by the Nabataeans. He was not a true king. And because of that, and because of various other things, he was paranoid. He was threatened easily. He was a violent man. This is Herod the Great. The other Herod, Herod we hear about is in the Gospels is Herod the Great's son, Herod the Tetrarch. Herod the Great, Herod the Tetrarch wasn't exactly the most sane of people either. He had a little insanity problem himself with paranoia. So when Herod the Great hears of this newborn king, he's troubled. He doesn't know what's going on. How could he miss the star? He would have been a man of somewhat leisure. But he calls his scholars in, and they say, of course, he's going to be born in Bethlehem, the city of David. And so the wise men set out again, and that's when they see the star again, and they worship. They come and do homage, offering those gifts, gifts that were not only practical, but gifts that symbolized who they recognized this Messiah, this newborn king to be, that he was a king, the gold, that he was a priest who was going to offer sacrifice, the frankincense, and that he was a sacrifice to be offered, the myrrh. They recognized, they recognized him and how it was in the stars. So often we might forget this one reality, that at the beginning of time when God created everything, he set everything into motion, not in a way that he abandoned it, but he created the laws of the universe and the laws of motion and, and physics and all those things we might study in science. He set them all into motion, and at that time, he set them so everything would align at the proper time, that when he sent his son, when his son was born, this star, whatever it was, whatever sign it was in the heavens, would shine. And not everyone saw it. Not everyone paid attention. In our modern day and age, we might say, yeah, isn't that nice that that happened? And we might think nothing of it. You see, we're too scientific in mind. We don't think about God sometimes. The wise men understood that not only is this lining up, all these things have happened, the star, the sign in the sky has appeared, but we have to go and see. 
seen, or hopefully soon to be St. Fulton Sheen, I think is venerable, said that there were only two groups that went to witness the newborn king. There were the shepherds, poor, illiterate, most likely, not very well educated, who, with the sign of the angels, came and worshipped. And then there were the wise men, studied, cultured, people of means, and they, by the witness of the star, came and worshipped. But unlike what we might think, the wise men knew what they didn't know. They knew that they didn't know where this king was to be born. They knew that they had to see for themselves this newborn king, to witness it with their own eyes. And I find them as a challenge for us. So often in our lives, as I already said, we might get busy with those little signs that God is trying to give us, those subtle signs that he's with us, the subtle signs that he wants our attention. We might recognize it and just, just immediately move on to the next thing. Other times, it might be a huge sign. If that if the star was a newborn uh, star that shone in the heavens like the like the light of the sun, yet people can easily dismiss it and say, well, isn't that nice? Let us not be like the rest of the people. Let us be like the wise men to recognize something is happening, to recognize we need to go and to worship the God who made such a thing happen, to go and to worship the King, the King who has made man for us, the God who has made man for us, who is going to offer his life on the cross, who is going to suffer and die to give us salvation. We don't know what happened to the wise men exactly. Tradition is that they ended their lives in, uh, in Cologne, Germany. That's where their relics are. But we do know this. They went home changed. They went home by another way. Let us recognize what the Lord is doing in our midst and the little things, the big things. Not overlook it, but rather recognize that the Lord is at work. He wants our attention. He wants us to follow him. He wants us to follow his Son, who is light upon light. Let us this day follow the Son, who is our Savior.